Um, last week in our message, a picture of Jesus, God told Moses that the people would build a home, a place, uh, where he could come meet with mankind. Uh, we saw his desire to commune with humanity and how he was teaching his people how to start giving back to him, right? Teaching them how to stop from going from being takers to givers. The Lord had very specific parameters and instructions for this building, for this building project that would actually mirror himself. This morning, we're going to review the image of Christ that we saw in the ark of the covenant as we will also look at some interior furnishings of God's tabernacle when their significance as well. As we examine this from a scriptural lens, we'll not only see the purpose in God's dwelling place, but we will also see what they picture to us and what we'll see in them. So this is, uh, I'm excited. Let's pray. Today's message is called The Furnishings of God. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you for today and the opportunity you've given us to be in your house. Thank you for your word, God. Thank you for the depth and the breadth of the word. It is amazing as we read it, as we study it, as, Lord, we look into it, God, what it will reveal to us. And I pray that, Lord, you help me today to share what it is you've shown me. God, I pray that, uh, Lord, I will only give what is uh, intended uh, for us, and, Lord, that you will remove the human element. You have spoken to me, I have no doubt. But, Lord, I would ask now that you just uh, help me to step out of the way that you might speak through me. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right. So in review, we're going to look at this. So far in our study, what we've been looking at overall is that God is holy, and guess what? We're not, right? Is that a shocker to anybody? No, look at your life. We all know we're not holy. Um, and it is this reality that actually has inspired God to order the creation of this place where God can actually have a sanctuary, a tabernacle, where he can fellowship with sinful man, right? It is uh, this heart of restoration that will eventually put Jesus on the cross of Calvary. Last week, we saw the Lord pictured in what will eventually become the ark, which is going to be sitting in the Holy of Holies. That is the interior of the tabernacle, the sanctified part that is specifically picturing where God dwells. And then we saw in the ark that it was made, it was fashioned of wood, right? The wood representing the humanity of, of Jesus. And then also the gold, which was overlaying the wood, which was picturing the deity of Christ. We saw the ark contained the word of God, which mirrored the fact that Jesus is not only uh, the source, but literally the word, the truth, the word of God, the truth of God is actually within him. We saw in Ephesians 4.21, it says, if so be that ye have heard him and have, and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. Then we looked at the lid of the ark, right? We looked at that and that's called the mercy seat. And that mercy seat there was made of pure gold representing the purity of God and also representing the sacrifice of our sinless savior. So this week, I want us to consider one other detail that's kind of shown within the ark, which is a really cool thing. So when the divine designer, God, created or brought this building project to humanity, this was not the first time. This is actually the second time God bought a building project, okay? The first time is in Genesis 6 through 9, 6 through 9, when the Lord instructed a man named Noah to build an ark, right? Interesting. He gave very specific instructions in its, in its construction and used a, to use it, use it as a vessel to save the portion of humanity that would trust in him from God's judgment. And what we saw last week is God's given very specific instructions on the construction of an ark, right? Which pictures the Lord Jesus Christ, who, not by coincidence, is going to happen to be the vessel that God is going to save a portion of humanity that will believe in him from the judgment of God. Isn't that a cool picture there? 
right? So how awesome is that? Uh, so that little detail is just something I want to share with you. But now we're going to move into Exodus 25, verses 23 through 40. Exodus 25, 23, it says, Thou shalt also make a table of shittim wood, two cubits. Okay, a cubit, I didn't tell you guys last time, a cubit is basically the span here. It's estimated to be about 18 inches, okay? So it says, uh, Two cubits shall be the length thereof, and a cubit the breadth thereof, and a cubit and a half the height thereof. So basically this table is about three feet long, it's about a foot and a half tall, or a foot and a half deep, and it's about two and a quarter feet tall. So it's not really, really large. This, interestingly, this is the very first mention of a table in the Bible. You'll see the word tables, but it's talking about tables of stone. This is the first time you're going to see a table show up as a piece of furniture in the Bible, the very first mention. And we always know that this is significance to the first time a word is mentioned, its importance. Okay? So table represents several different things in Scripture. First of all, an example of a table that would have food on it, right? that would be a place of fellowship, that would be a place of agreement. That would also be a place of trust, people sitting down to have a meal together. Luke twenty two thirty, 30, Jesus says this, that ye may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. It is a place of honor and a place of trust. But then what it made me think about was the fact that, you know what, there's a really another very significant table that we see in the Bible. We think about the Last Supper, right? We think about the Last Supper. Think about that. And what happens at that table is that table actually gets defiled. There's a trust that's established there, and we're going to see it get changed. Listen to the way the Lord refers to the imminent betrayal as he sits down to break bread with his trusted disciples at his final table, at the final meal. Luke 22, verses 19 through 21 says this, And he took bread and gave thanks and break it, and gave unto them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. Remember, they're all sitting around a table. Likewise, also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. But behold, the hand of him that betrayeth me is with me on the table, the defiling of the table. Judas would get up from this table, and he's going to walk out, and he's going to sell Jesus Christ out. He's going to betray him and take for his, for his sacrifice on the cross. Listen to John's account of the exact same thing in John 13, verses 26 through 28. Jesus answered and said, He it is to whom I shall give a sop when I have dipped it. And when he have dipped the sop, he gave it to, to Judas Iscariot, the son, of, the son of Simon. Dip a sop means he dips some bread into some gravy and he passes it to Judas. And this is after the sop. Look at this. Satan entered into him. The only place in the Bible you'll ever find Satan entering into a person is Judas. This is the only place. Then said Jesus unto him, thou, That thou doest, do quickly. It says, Now no man at the table knew for what intent he spake this unto him. So we can see Jesus right here at the Last Supper. We can see Judas. This betrayal is going to actually lead to a sacrifice. It's pointing to the sacrifice. And that's the thing about a table. There's significance in the table. Because biblically, it doesn't just mean a place to, to gather and a place to meet. But an alt, it also looks as, in the Bible, we find it representing an altar or a place of sacrifice. In Ezekiel 40, verse 41, it says, Four tables were on this side and four tables on that side. By the side of the gate, eight tables, whereupon they slew their sacrifices. Ezekiel 41, 22 says, The altar of wood was three cubits high, and the length thereof, two cubits, and the corners thereof, and the length thereof, and the walls thereof, were of wood. And he said unto me, This is the table that is before the Lord. So we see that an altar is also a table, and these tables were specifically for sacrifice. So we can see this aspect of fellowship and trust, but also see the element of sacrifice. And now we'll look a little bit more specifically at that table in verse number 24. And it says, And thou shalt overlay it with pure gold, and make thereto a crown of gold round about. And I do have an image of, this is a recreation of 
There it is right there. And we see this, this table, and I'm going to kind of go through a couple of the, uh, the details on it. Again, the ark, we see humanity and deity pictured in the wood and the gold, because it is wood overlaid with gold exactly as the ark was This is in, in the construction, where the ark will be in the Holy of Holies, which is going to be inside, behind the veil. This showbread is going to be on outside of the veil. This is going to be in the holy place. There's the holy, and then there's the holy of holies. The showbread is in the exterior of that area, so it's outside of the veil. And as we will see the placement of this, right, what's interesting is the ark represents God and representing that, 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 inner, that inner place. So we're going to find that the ark there represents Jesus being in the presence of God, right? Then the ark is also here because it's, over, it's on the other side of the veil. It's talking about, talking about this aspect of God being in the holy place and also the showbread. And then outside of the showbread, we're actually going to do the sacrifices that will be done outside of the court. So there's the inner part, the holy of holies. Then there's the holy place. And then there's going to be the outer court. Each one, Jesus is in every one of these areas because he is a God to all people as we see him pictured in every element. Not only will Jesus be pictured in the contents of the tabernacle, but the tabernacle itself. The showbread table for both sacrifice and for fellowship is pictured in Jesus. Let's look at verse number 25. It says, And thou shalt make unto it a border of and an hand breadth round about, and thou shalt make a golden crown to the border thereof round about. And thou shalt make, it four, make for it four rings of gold and put the rings in the four corners that are on the four feet. Like the ark, remember the rings are representative of eternity. Verse number 27, And over against the border shall the rings be for places of the staves to bear the table. Again, like the ark, they're on the four corners representing the fact that in the north, south, east, and west, God is God over all of the earth, all of the earth. And it says, and thou shalt make staves of shittim wood and overlay them with gold that the table may be borne with them. Again, like the ark, the table was intended to be carried by the staves. It wasn't supposed to be carried by the hands. But what's interesting about this is before we saw with the ark, it says that the staves are never supposed to be taken out. That instruction is not given here about the table. What happens is that, that means that in, to make it more functional, they could take the staves in and out, but they would bear it based upon those staves. So we can see Jesus pictured in the table, but what about what's on the table? Let's look at that as well. Verse number 29. And thou shalt make the dishes thereof, and spoons thereof, and covers thereof, and bowls thereof, to cover with all of pure gold shalt thou make them. These implements stand out as they are unique and special. They represent deity and royalty. Verse 30. And thou shalt set upon the table showbread before me alway. This showbread, right? This is the purpose of the table is to display these 12 loaves of bread. And these 12 loaves of bread are representing the 12 tribes of Israel, right? And they are supposed to be represented there in the holy place before God's face. Leviticus 24 verses 5 through 9 give us a little bit more specifics on the showbread itself. It says, and thou shalt take Fine flour, okay? In order to make fine flour, the traditional flour that they would make from the, in the, in the, with the Jews was they would actually take it and they would grind it and make sort of a pulpy kind of a grain. This says fine flour. That means this is going to be beaten to a very, 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 very fine precision mount because it's supposed to be a very representation of this purity and this, and this cleansing that God would put them through. And it says, and bake 12 cakes thereof. Two tenths deals shall be on one cake. And thou shalt set them in two rows, six on a row, upon the pure table before the Lord. And thou shalt put pure frankincense, frankincense being a representation of deity, upon each row, that it may be on the bread for a memorial and for an offering made by fire unto the Lord. Every Sabbath he shall set it, un set it in order before the Lord continually, being taken from the children of Israel for an everlasting covenant. And it shall be Aaron's and his sons, these are, this is going to be the priest class, and they shall eat it, on the eat it in the holy place, for it is most holy unto him of the offerings of the Lord made by fire as a perpetual statute. So the bread is going to be continually placed before them in the holy place. 
It's going to sit there for seven days. And on the seventh day, on the Sabbath, the priests are going to go in with fresh bread, and they're going to swap it out. It's always going to be fresh bread placed in there. They're going to take those seven, those, those 12 loaves, and they're going to actually consume that with them and their families. And that's that representation of that cons- the consumption of God. It says, look at how, de- how Jesus describes this, or how Jesus describes himself in John 6. John 6, through 35, he says this, For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven, and giveth life unto the world. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore, give us this bread. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. In verse verse 47, he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I am that bread of life. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever, and the bread that I will give is my flesh, and I will give for the life of the world. So we see Jesus pictured in the table itself, and its construction of the wood and the gold. We see its purpose and the fact of where it's placed. We also see the fact that, guess what? It's a picture of the sacrifice, but the bread is also a picture of Jesus. And we're going to see again and again and again as we go through the tabernacle, we're going to see these pictures of Christ, pictures of Christ, pictures of Christ. And guess what? We have another picture of Jesus coming up. Verse 31, And thou shalt make a candlestick of pure gold. Of beaten work shall the candlestick be made. His shaft and his branches, his bowls, his knops, and his flowers shall be of the same. I want you to take note that everything that's inside of the tabernacle, inside the Holy of Holies and inside of the holy place, everything in there is made of pure gold. It is representative of God's holiness. It is a picture of that. What's interesting also about the tabernacle, when we study it and we look at it, on the outside of that tabernacle, it's going to be covered with these goat skins. And the goat skins are going to be ugly. They're all just tattered goat skins sewn together. So on the outside of the tabernacle, it's going to look kind of ugly like a bunch of mismatched junk. Guess what? That's a picture of who? Us, Us, right? Because we're holy inside, but guess what? You're still stuck in flesh, and it's ugly. I'm I'm not saying y'all are ugly, but I'm just saying flesh in general. (laughs) You're a very attractive group, but I'm just saying flesh in general, we're ugly because of the fact that we live in this flesh, right? So we look at this aspect of the holy place that we made of gold, right? The royalty. And then what's interesting also is we're going to move outside of the tabernacle. We're going to shift from gold. We're going to shift to brass. Those are going to be brazen, Brazen altars outside. Those things, brass, you know what it represents? Judgment. Judgment. Deity inside, judgment outside. Sacrifices, cleansing done outside. When you walk in, you are ready to stand with God. It's a cleansing process. We're going to see it. It's going to be beautiful. Anyway, we're not there yet, so we're not going to go there. Um, I'm, going to read, I'm going to read you guys a description. I'm going to get, so this is the lampstand, okay? This is what it would look like. I'm just going to read you the description because it's kind of long. And six branches shall come out of the side of it, three branches of the candlestick out of the one side, and three branches of the candlestick out of the other side. And these bowls, uh, made like unto al- made, made unto album, al- almonds, that's not what I was saying, albums, no, uh, with a knop and a flower in one branch, and three bowls made like almonds in the other branch, with a knop and a flower. So in the six branches they come, that came, they come out of the candlestick. And in the candlestick shall be four bowls made like unto almonds, with their knops and their flowers. And there shall be a knop under two branches of the same, and a knop under two branches of the same, and a knop under two branches of the same, according to the six branches that proceed out of the candlestick. They're not, I'm glad they're doing this, not me, because I would be like, I get knops going all over the place. <laughs> their knops and their branches shall be of the same. All it shall be one beaten, pure, beaten work of pure gold. And thou shalt make the seven lamps thereof, and they shall light the lamps thereof, and they may give light over against it. Okay, so the lampstands, the lampstands are... The only source of light. You understand, when, this, when, the, when the tabernacle is completed and all those draperies are put on there, it is pitch 
black inside the tabernacle. There is no light whatsoever. There is a single light source within that tabernacle, and it is going to be this lamp stand. It is representative of the light, the light. And it's seven, the number of perfections, a whole lot of other study we can do on. And I did read a whole lot of things that I could add to this, but we would hear, be here a very long time if I went into all the details. But there's a tremendous picture in this light. And let's look at what the Bible says about light in John 1. Verses 5 through 9, it says, And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Now, this is John the Baptist. It's important that you know that when you read the book of John, you're not reading. John the Baptist did not write this, because you'll read in that. I had, Clive was reading, and he said, you know, he said, I was reading this, and he's like, I thought, well, how can he be writing about his own death? Because he's thinking, because John the Baptist dies in the book of John. He's like, well, how did he write this? And I was like, no, 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 this is the apostle John. This is not John the Baptist. Just some clarification. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light. Notice the light. The word the light is capitalized. And all men through him might believe. Verse 8, he was not that light and was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. So we're looking here, this picture of the light. This is Christ. John 8, 12 says this. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. John 9, 5, he says, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. John 12, 35, 36, then said Jesus unto them, yet a little while is the light with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whither he goeth, and did hide himself from them. Hide himself from them. John 12, 46, I am come a light into the world, whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. Amazing. We're seeing he's talking about, I am the light, I am the light, I am the light. This is the significance of this light. And then there's another really cool detail in the book of Leviticus, which was really neat in here. Leviticus 24, 2, it says this. Command the children of Israel, this is talking about, this, about the tabernacle, this is all about the instructions, that they bring unto thee pure oil, olive, beaten for the light to cause the lamps to burn continually. So they've got to make fuel for these lamps. They don't have candles, and they'll have fuel poured in them with a wick, and that fuel will burn, and it's a pure olive oil that they're going to form. So in order for the lamps to give off this continual light, something has to happen, okay? They've got to create it. Now, it's interesting. They've got to have pure olive oil, a very, very, very pure and very refined version of it. It's got to be made. And with traditionally, when you make oils, what you do is you press them, right? You press them, and you crush them. But I want you to notice the word that is used here. It says they will be beaten, beaten to make the fuel, beaten for the light to be able to shine. This light will be fueled as a result of beating. And you think about this, and you've got an olive, and you beat that olive, and this fluid runs out, almost like the, the blood of the olive, right? And we think about the blood coming from a body. It says beaten for the light, Isaiah, Isaiah 53, verses 3 through 5 says this, He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and he was esteemed and we esteemed him not. Surely we have borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed with his beatings. 
Matthew 27, 27 through 31 says this, Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers. A band is also translated a cohort. A cohort could be up to 800 men. It's estimated this is probably about two or 300 men. So they gathered. It says it's very specific to make sure he tells us that he gathers the whole band of soldiers. And they stripped him. And they pulled in him a scarlet robe. And when they had plotted, had plotted a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him and saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Crowds of soldiers kneeling down before him, ridiculing him. And they spit upon him. And they took the reed and smote him on the head. And after that, they had mocked him. They took the robe off from him and put it in his own raiment and led him away to crucify him. John gives us additional information in regards to this beating in John 19, verses 1 through 3. It says, Then Pilate before took Jesus and scourged him. Understand what a scourging is. It is a brutal, merciless beating. And the result of that beating is blood. Beating the blood of Jesus out of his body. Really shredding him. And the soldiers plaited a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put on him a purple robe and said, Hail, King of the Jews. And here it says, And they smote him with their hands. If a band of soldiers, 200 men, let's just say it was 200 men, and you're standing there, arms tied behind your back, and they're walking up, and they're beating you with their hands, and you know everyone would want to get a shot. Not because he deserved it. Not because he did anything wrong. Because he loved us. Amen. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. And with every strike, he would be saying, I love him. Amen. I love him. And as the blood runs down his face and out of his nose and out of his eyes, the fuel for the light, right? I love them. I love them. He gave himself for us so he could be our light. He could be our hope. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Because without him, there is no hope. Amen. We're trusting so many things that are not God. And yet he took the beating and he poured his blood for the purpose of fueling the light. That would be the one thing that we could turn to in the darkness and we could see it and turn to it. Amen. It's the love of God, man. It's the love of God pictured in this lampstand. And then think about the fact that, you know what? How many of us, considering the beating, how many of us had to face quite a beating in life? For us to come to the realization that we needed to turn to him. Sometimes we've got to be humbled, man. Sometimes life's got to punch you square in the face. Sometimes time and time again for years and years and years and years. There have been people that have been running for God that are still today running from God. And man, they're taking a beating. And God's allowing the beating to let them realize that they need him. That they need him. God is breaking us down. God, he never wastes pain, man. Some of us today, if it were not for the beating that we went through in life, we would not be able to shine today. We would not Amen. know the Lord. Amen. Because some of us were so stubborn. I'm telling you. Wes is laughing because I'm telling you, man. Talk about stubborn. You guys hear his testimony sometime, man. I'm telling you, as far as away from God you can get, man. They were running full speed in the opposite direction. Yet the love of God Amen. intervened. Amen. It took that beating of that life to allow them to be humbled to the point where they would receive him. And that's the beautiful thing about God is he never wastes pain. Verse 38, it says, And the tongues thereof, there and the snuff dish thereof, shall be of pure gold. Of a talent of pure gold shall he make it, and all 
these vessels. He uses the word vessels there, which is interesting. The Bible talks about vessels that were fit for the master's use, right? Fit for the master's use. That means that it's something that was prepared to carry something, right? This, these, this table was where they were going to do the work of God. They were going to be serving and doing different things. So these vessels were important in servicing God. And see, that's what you and I are. This is a picture of us. We're vessels. We're supposed to be carrying the Spirit of God. We're supposed to be doing the work of God. We're supposed to be representing Him. We're supposed to be doing things before God's eyes, but also to the man, to, to man. You and I are supposed to be a representation of Christ to this world, and these vessels are a picture of us, right? Every detail is important because everyone is crucial, and it's pointing to one crucial truth, which is awesome. God wants to make sure. Look at this in verse number 40. And look that thou make them after their pattern, which was showed thee in the mountain, right? We know the pattern. He's talking about heaven. Right? He's talking about heaven. And what we see here is this pattern. God's saying, look, I want to make sure that what you're going to create is going to be an exact representation of what it is I'm telling you about. Where I dwell, it needs to look exactly like that. Last, last week we talked about it. He's basically doing like an architect's model of what already exists. Every detail was important. Again, as it's pointing to this crucial truth. And can we see what it's pointing to? What it's picturing? Right? It's pointing to the same thing again and again and again. Right? He wants to dwell with us. Right? To tabernacle with us. That word tabernacle means dwell with. God wants to tabernacle with us because he wants fellowship with us. See, but it's because of our sin, because of who we are, that it can't happen. We're the divisive issue. God is perfect. We're the imperfect issue. God wants fellowship with us because of who we are. We've created this division, but he wants to dwell with us and have that fellowship with us. What has God been picturing for us throughout the furnishings of this soon-to-be-built tabernacle? Jesus Christ. Again and again and again, we see Jesus pictured again and again. He is the bread, Amen. right? He is the bread which was given for us through sacrifice. And guess what? He's the light, the light that we're supposed to embrace, right? We can feel God's love in this world. If we'll stop listening to the things of the world and get, get caught up with the darkness, which can sometimes overwhelm us, and if we'll stop listening to the darkness, we'll stop avoiding these things. Man, we can listen to the light. We can hear the light of God shining into our life, and it can speak to us and change us. And so many of us find ourselves looking in the darkness, and we turn our back to the light. God, being in the light is a choice. If you want to stand in darkness, you can do it. God's not going to force you. But I want to tell you, if you imagine a dark room and there's a spotlight shining in that room, you have a choice. That spotlight may come down on you and hit you with full blast. And you feel the heat of the light and you stand there in the light and you go, man, you know what? I can feel God. And he says, you know what? I'm going to be right here. And you go, okay. But I got this and I got that. And I got this and I got that. The next thing you know, we're standing in the darkness. And the light's still there. And we're way over here. And the devil's going, you know, no, 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 no. The light's over here. You need to search over here. There's stuff in the darkness that'll take care of your problem. It'll fix your issue. This will, this drink will, this taste of this, this relationship, this experience, this car, whatever it is. And we find ourselves over here in the darkness and we're completely lost mm, yes. the whole time. The light's over there. Yep. And God said, hey, guess what? I haven't turned it off. You may be so far away that it looks like a pin light to you, but guess what? The closer you get, the brighter it's going to be and the bigger it's going to seem. And eventually you can walk right into that light and all of a sudden be like, wow. <laughs> wow. Yes. 
Why did I ever go in the dark? Why did I ever lose sight of what I was receiving? God, you love me. You are the light. Your love, your peace, your joy, you're all those things that I've been seeking. And that's the beautiful thing. When we come from lost to saved, we walk into the light, man. But the cool thing is you can stay in the light if you choose to. But guess what? God's not going to force you. Because as human beings, we live in the flesh. And the flesh will take us into the darkness. We have to be careful. We have to be careful. For you see, if we want to dwell with God, it can only happen through His Son. We're either dwelling with Him or we aren't. If we're in the light, we're dwelling with Him. We're communing with Him. We're spending time in His Word. He's speaking to us. We're hearing His voice. We're feeling His heartbeat. We're close to God. Or we're over here complaining about the world. What's wrong? What we don't have? How come I don't feel God's touch? But this book sits with dust on it in our house. Amen. Or we open it and we cursory read through it. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, whatever. Got it. Be a good person. Got it. I'm out of here. We don't take the time to really let God speak to us. Right. Or we pray, but it's always just what we want. I'm in the darkness of here. God, get me in the light. Get me in the light. Get me in the light. And he's going, hey, 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 no, no, no. The Bible says, cleanse yourself, you sinners. How about you come to the light? And guess what? I will pour it on you. We want God to do all the work. And he says, you know what? Responsibility lies on you. I've done all the work. Amen. He already went to the cross. He's already paid the price. He's already offered the gift. If you've received it, man, you are saved. We have nothing to complain about. If that's all we got with salvation, man, we've been blessed way beyond what we deserve. Yet we spend most of our time just frustrated and complaining about what we don't have in our life. And God's saying, look, why not appreciate what you have with salvation? And then you'll start to see if you really, really, really appreciate it and you really cling to it. All these other things that God's done for you, they all start to show up and you start to go, wow. And I'm blessed with health, family. Amen. You ever see somebody handicapped before? Severely handicapped? And looked at your own hands? Standing on your own feet? Moving your body? Somebody who's locked up. I mean, I mean, they're locked up. They're like this. They're moving a chair with their mouth. And you're like, man, I never even thank God for this. Ever. I don't thank him for these fingers. I don't thank him for anything. I just took it for granted. I'm just supposed to have these. No. They're blessings, man. Amen. And if we learn to appreciate the things in our life, guess what? You can be in the light all day long. You can live in the light. You can dwell with God. Or we can allow ourselves to be drawn into the darkness. The devil wants you in the dark. I can promise you that because he wants you to be lost. As Jesus said, those that find themselves in the darkness know not where they are. And there will be some of us who will get so wrapped up in the darkness that we'll feel like we are lost. Completely lost. But guess what? The light. How do we get to the light? Man, hear from him. Talk to him. Commune with him. Dwell with him, man. It's awesome. If we're his child today and we look at our lives, what, uh, would we see Jesus pictured in what furnishes us? What furnishes our heart? What furnishes our, our minds? What furnishes our lives? Are the things that are furnishing our life, are they pictures of Jesus? Or are they pictures of the world? Are they pictures of what we want? Of what God wants? See, these pictures are not just random. He's trying to help us to go, look, you know what? This picture of Jesus you should be a picture of Jesus. These things that we see, what they represent, 
deity and humanity mixed together, but with an eyes on God, man, that's us. And we think about it, when people think of our name, is it synonymous with the name of Christ? People you know, people you interact with, is Jesus the first thing they think of? Is it synonymous with you? That's a Christian. I know that guy. Good guy, man. Loves the Lord. You ever meet people like, and you'll, some people will describe somebody that you've never met before. You go, man, you know what? You're going to love this guy, dude. Loves the Lord, man. Heart for God. Just, just got that kind of heart. That's awesome, man. His heart, that person's synonymous. The guy that's doing the work here at the church, that's what I would say about him. Man, he loves the Lord, man. Good guy. Synonymous. But there's a lot of us, people go, you know so-and-so? Oh, yeah, dude. Yeah, yeah. The, the guy loves football. Yeah, 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 yeah. The Cowboys fan. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know him. Yeah. Oh, the guy with the car. Yeah, yeah, I, oh, yeah, I know him. I know him. Oh, dude, the guy at the gym is always talking about working. Yeah, yeah, I know him. Nutrition guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's furnishing our life? What comes out of us? Guess what? It's representative of the furnishings. Jesus is simply, or God is simply trying to help us to see that we need to change who we are inside. As we continue the study, we'll begin to see that every part of God's tabernacle pictures Jesus. And as Christian, the world should see every part of us picturing Jesus. Every part. Every part. Not what we pick and choose. Because there's some parts of our life, like, well, yeah, you know what? I'm not ready to get that one right yet. But this other one, yeah, I'm good with that. My church life, I'm good with that. My, 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 my work life, yeah, it's okay. How about the way we interact with our family? The way we talk to our kids? Right? Are we modeling Jesus to our children? Do they see Christ in the way we talk to them? The patience that we exude? The love that we share? The example that we set? These are important. Because guess what? We're not promised tomorrow. None of us. If you die today, what you've done today is your legacy. And whatever's synonymous to your name is what you left. But if God's grace gives us another day, the good news is, I was just talking to somebody this weekend, I was like, look, it doesn't matter what you've done up till today. It is irrelevant because it is the past. As Paul said, this one thing I do, man, I can't change that. And I, I, I heard a testimony of a young lady, and she was talking about her mom and dad. And she said, you know what, my mom and dad, I grew up in a home that was abusive, and it was, and it was horrible communication, and they were angry and frustration, and it was so much rage. And she goes, I grew up with that picture of all of this unrest. And she said, but then there was a day. There was a day when God came into our home, and my mom and dad surrendered to the Lord. And you know what, I was a teenager, and I can look back in time and say, you know what, there was a day, a moment in my life, when what had happened before and all those things that were set up, they changed. My mom and dad didn't talk to me the way they did. Amen. And they didn't teach each, treat each other the way they did. And they showed me Christ in their walk. And here she is now in her 20s, late 20s, and she's saying, you know what? I now get to model Christ to my kids. Not because I grew up and it modeled to me. Amen. No. But at that age, man, I saw a change, and I knew that God had stepped in. If you screwed it up till today, who cares? You can't change it. Let it go. Press towards the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, man. Change today. And that's the things like we've given this picture, man. Let's model it. You know, it's good to know these things. It's, you know, the Bible, a lot of people sit, you know, they go, oh, information, let me learn, let me learn, let me learn. Yeah, man, learn. But don't just sit on it. You know, it's like a sponge. You sit there and you fill a sponge for a long time and you don't take anything out of it, it just sours. The reason you get knowledge in the Word of God is to turn around and pour it into somebody else. 
squeeze your life out into somebody else. Do something for the cause of Christ because we're supposed to be disciples. Jesus said, I have finished the work that you have sent me to do. And, and that's, in, that's in John 17 when he's in the garden. That's before he dies. And he's talking about establishing disciples. He says, God, I've done the work, the work of the Lord establishing the disciples. I've done it. And that's what he intends for us to do. And if you're a Bible scholar, but you don't open your mouth, what good are you? God's not going to go, oh, hey, great job. You knew everything. No, he's going to say, what did you do with it? Because you're not judged upon what you know. You're judged upon what you do. Not be hearers of the word only, doers of the word. Right? And these pictures that we're seeing here, man, what is furnishing us? What is furnishing our life? If we cut you open and we looked inside, do we see pictures of Jesus everywhere? Or we just see a whole lot of you? Only you know. But guess what? By their fruits, you shall know them. And if your life starts to display the light of Christ, because that lampstand is lit brightly in you, and that beaten oil is burning, and your life is pouring into the lives of other people, you're a representation. Guess what? You're furnished with God. And your life is touching someone else's. And God is pleased. That's why we're here. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for today. And I thank you, God, for the opportunity you've given us to be in your house. Thank you, Lord, for the beautiful picture that we've seen, Lord, in the showbread, in the candlesticks, in the vessels, Lord, in every part of this tabernacle, God, of you have pictured yourself. Thank you for your patience with us as humanity, Lord, as we are flawed and we are failed. And Lord, constantly uh, struggling, God, I, every day, I struggle every single day, Lord, to be the man of God that you've called me to be. And Lord, I know that you have a higher calling for each one of us, Lord, that we can attain a higher level, not for the sake of ourselves, but the sake that you might be pleased. Help us to be the husbands that we are, the wives that we are, the parents that we are, the, the workers that we are, the friends that we are, the, the members that we are, not for our glory, but for yours. God, if we'll do it for you, uh, God, you will fill us with such contentment, such peace. And Lord, you will be with us through everything we face. And the wonderful thing about darkness is light is nothing more than elimination of darkness. We're filled, we're surrounded by darkness, but God, if we will cling to you, it will flee away. The Bible says, submit yourself therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. He wants darkness for us, but God, praise your name. You are the light. Help us to cling to it. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you're here today, you're online, you're on overflow, wherever you are. And you say, I don't have that light. I can honestly say that I am in darkness and I struggle with it every day. If you're a child of God, it's time you surrender to him and stop walking in your own will, but walk in his and you will experience that light. But if you're not a child of God, you're like I was 18 years ago. You may have believed in God, but you didn't have any relationship with him. And I didn't know anything about God, but I knew this. I knew on my own, I was in trouble. I knew on my own, I was broken. I knew on my own, I was sad. I knew I was searching for something. And someone took the time because they cared for me. And their light shined into my life. And they said, you know what? Jesus died for you, David. And he loves you exactly as you are. And he'd be willing to receive you exactly as you are if you would receive him. He's reaching out to you right now. What would you say? And that night, 18 years ago, changed my life. And I slid off the couch onto my knees 
and ask Jesus to come into my heart. And I'm going to give you an opportunity. If you're online, if you're, even if this is recorded, it does not matter. It's not the words. It's not a ceremony. It's nothing more than a prayer between you and God. And you can be anywhere. Listen to this in your car and receive Christ as your Savior. I'm going to lead you in prayer. It's not the words. It's your heart. Repeat after me in your heart and mind if you want to receive Christ as your Savior. Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and I have failed you and I failed myself. I'm asking you right now by faith to forgive me of my sins, to pay the price for my sins and Lord, to give me a home in heaven through your death, your burial, and your resurrection. God, I love you and I'm so thankful for your love for me. Please come into my heart, save my soul, and give me a home in heaven. Lord, I love you. Thank you for today. Thank you for saving me. For I will see you in heaven one day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.